Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Season 1 of the TV version of Building the Future is now streaming online at buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Terry Cutler. He's a cybersecurity expert. Terry, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think, obviously, you've you've had quite the career. You have quite the background. Um, but maybe kind of before we get into kind of the cybersecurity side of things, let's get to know yourself a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. Yeah, I come from uh, I actually come from small town Point Calumet in Montreal. Okay. It's uh, it's famous now for the water slides and the what's called the beach club. So folks like Justin Bieber and I think uh, the Dinner family showed up there. And uh, so I was actually the only English speaking kid there. Really? Wow. That's cool. So French is your first language then I'm guessing? Uh, English. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, it depends. Like Montreal is kind of one of those cities that it really depends. Like you can, you can get away just with speaking English, but like I've had some family in Quebec and I actually, Quebec's beautiful. I've been kind of all over it. And, uh, I actually really like it, but there's some places in Quebec where if you don't know French, you can't talk to anybody. <laughs> yeah, there are some local towns, and I mean the main one, the main ones like Montreal and, and Quebec City are mostly bilingual. Mm-hmm. But uh, the government is trying to make us think that you know it's French or almost nothing, you know. Sure. No, that makes sense. So, you graduate high school. What kind of got you into wanting to go into cybersecurity? Well, I've always had a passion for computers since I was ten years old. Okay. So. I've always been playing around with it, taking them apart, erasing them, then calling my tech support at my mom's work to help me try and fix it, right? And, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. I was there too, yep. Yeah, and then uh, at school, I kind of became known as this little hacker guy that, you know, copying games or getting things to work. Sure. And uh, that's where, you know, later on growing up, you know, I started getting influenced by shows like CSI and 24, and I'm like, how does Chloe O'Brien breaking all these systems so fast? <laughs> and... Uh, I thought there was actually a course called the Certified Ethical Hacker, where they actually teach you the same techniques that the bad guys use to break into systems, but except you're using those skills for good, for help defend. Sure, sure. That makes a lot of sense. And I think, like, it's, it's interesting, right? Because you do use kind of the same stuff. It just depends on once you're in, what you do with what, how, once you're in, right? Whether exactly. you let exactly. a company know, like, oh, here's how I got into your thing, and I could have taken all this stuff, but... I did well, we, or didn't. Well, as far as, uh, we, I mean, we can demonstrate stuff we've taken. For example, I can show up with the uh, the president's passport and his birth certificate, things like that. Sure. But there's, we still have to maintain some guidelines, whereas the evil hackers, they can do whatever they want. They can leak it onto the web. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. So you, you graduate from this program. Kind of what did you end up doing? So I'm, I actually had the privilege, this was back in 2005, I actually had the privilege to go to Washington when this course kind of became mainstream. I, I had the privilege to train with the FBI and the CIA and all these guys that were my course. That's awesome. Um, so I got to learn a lot of wealth of information about how the, how the real world works, you know? Okay. And um, so then from there, I started using this, this knowledge saying that, you know, the general public doesn't know about this stuff, so I got to find a way to educate them. Sure. So through seminars, television interviews, things like that, I, I give awareness training. Okay. And then, uh, then that's where it spawned out the, the internet safety stuff I've been doing for parents and law enforcement. Now, what are their kids doing online? So. Sure. So you're, you're talking about the course on internet safety, correct? Yeah. 
So what exactly is that? And obviously you just mentioned kind of who's it for, but what, what does it actually teach people? Okay, so it's good. the promise of this course is to walk individuals who don't know much about cybersecurity and get them right up to speed in layman's terms and make it as simple as possible, which is very, very difficult to do. Sure. So you know, we'll cover things like, for example, in the first module, we'll, we'll do like a, an audit. We'll look at what, what you're doing right now and, and see if we can fix up your computer before going back onto the web. Sure. Uh, and then you know, we'll look at social media. Let's, let's see what your kids are doing online. Let's browse through their history. Um, find out, learn about what social media sites they're using. Sure. And how to see if people are stealing your profile, your fake fo- uh, fake photos, and things like that. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And and so you basically do you do that in person, remote, a bit of both. I was doing. I'm doing a lot in person, and okay. what's happening is I'm getting such demand for it now that uh, I can't split myself in fifty p in fifty ways. So sure. I think, no, I'm going to create this online course. Okay. Several hours long, and it's a brain dump of everything I know. Interesting. But in its simplest form, because there's no way I can t- I can walk an older person who knows nothing about computers and get them, you know, right, really up to speed, you know, without losing them. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. So, for for people listening, where can they go actually check out the course? There, there's two ways. Either go to terrycutler.com, okay, on internet safety at the top, okay, or they can go to uh, internetsafetyuniversity.com. Okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. So. When you're working through um, with people and you're, you're kind of looking through their social media and what other stuff they have online or their computer, what kind of stuff do you kind of traditionally find that seems pretty common that, you know, people should really think about and, you know, look out for with their either social media kind of stuff or on their computer? Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's talk social media. Sure. The biggest thing I see is these guys don't have a lockdown profile. Okay. So you go onto their you go onto their, their their Facebook profile, for example, and I can I have access to all of their photos. Everything yep. is set to public. Okay. So I don't even have to be friends to get access to their pictures. So then sometimes they wonder why is my 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 picture being used in Russia, for right. example, or or, create, or or trying to scam other folks. Because that's the goal, right? These hackers, what they do is they they or these scammers, I should say, they they make copies of your photo. And then try to re-add all your friends, and then later on they can say, you know, guys, I'm in, I'm in the UK. I've been mugged. Can you send me 500 bucks? Right. So they're trying to scam all their contacts. Okay. So what other kind of stuff should people kind of look out for? Because I've gotten those emails too before from people where it's like, I'm stranded. You know, send me money. And it's like, well, are you? I know. I just saw you yesterday. You can't. You couldn't have been in the UK for the last three weeks, right? Yeah, that exactly. kind of stuff. What what other kind of common things for, that sh- people should look out for? The other one is uh, definitely passwords. Okay. You know, I, I often see also on Facebook that uh, hey, you know, I, my my account was hacked, um, and then when I contact them, I found their password was like Julia 007. Sure. Now these guys, the, the folks don't think that we have as hackers have access to these automated tools that can fire off millions of email, uh, fire uh, sorry, millions of uh, passwords. We can decrypt millions of passwords in a short amount of time. Sure. So all these known passwords, we've at, we already have access to them. So you know, we're not there guessing one by one. We have access to all this. So whenever you create a bad password, you know, it takes us moments to break it. So sure. that's why it's very important to create passwords that are between you know, 16 and 25 characters long. Right. Now, I know, I know you're thinking, right, you probably just fell off your chair saying, how on earth is this guy going to create a password 16 and 25 characters long? But if you can think of things like song lyrics or phrases, like I had a great day at work 2016 – 
And all you do is replace the A with an at symbol, or you've, break, you've created an unbreakable password. Okay, and when you say unbreakable, what does that exactly mean? Like I get at a high level, it means like it's basically you can't automate how to hack that, or what does that really mean in kind of like the cybersecurity term? It means that they can't really automate to hack that. Okay, so they'd have to basically manually enter that and it's just not worth their time. Exactly, exactly. Because <clears throat> on the on the flip side, if I if I pulled back the curtain, if ever we hack a server, okay, yeah. we can pull out all of the, everybody's usernames and passwords out of it. But for us, we see the username, but the password is fully encrypted. We don't know what it is. Right. We can use a, a, an attack called pass the hash. Now, I'm not okay. talking about the good old college days. It's basically an attack that you can actually... Um, pass this information onto another server and it's going to log me in with what your username and whatever password you have. I don't even have to know it. Right. And okay. So, so that's why later on you're going to learn about two-factor authentication. This is where you're going to have to type in your password and then, and then that system will send you a text message to your phone with a random code. So you have to enter your password and that text message code in order to use the service. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I know like the, the Google stuff is really good at... Um, adding the ability to have two-factor authentication, but there's a lot of servers or sites out there that don't have anything more than uh, password or two-factor authentication. Like, I know Twitter does, but I don't think Facebook does. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do? Okay. Yeah. I should it's probably set that privacy, up. Uh, it's called login restrictions. Okay. So that's good to know. And, like, it is... Like, I have two-factor authentication on most of my stuff, except for Facebook, apparently. Um, but... Uh, it, it the thing is at first when you do set that up it is a bit of a pain right like i think people find like oh it's such a nightmare that i got to be around my phone and i got to enter these you know digits that just came to me in a text or i got to wait a few minutes few seconds because we're so like just keep me logged into everything because i want instant access to everything but exactly the problem is is you're right like once you get hacked it's such a nightmare to clean up right and it's worth having that maybe not on necessarily everything but you should really try to have it on the certain things that you're very, very uh, passionate about or don't want people to have access to. And for myself, it's like email and, and stuff like that, right? Yeah, security is not a convenient thing. No, and I think that's part of the problem why it's not really – people don't really think it's going to happen to them. Or at least that's kind of my opinion yeah. of the people that I've right. kind of run into. And, and what do you – how do you kind of – deal with that when you're working with people because a lot of people are like well i'm just a small guy in such and such a town or whatever like why do they want my stuff like what do you say to people like that i get i get that a lot and basically it's not necessarily about them so for example let's say they are a small mom and pop shop okay sell shoes who's gonna steal my stuff why do i care what happens is the goals for, for these attackers is to gain access to your computer then use your computer to commit crime somewhere else right so the more infected computers they have, the better it is. So this way, if there's ever a big investigation and RCMP is involved, well, they might come in and kick your door down instead of the hacker in Singapore. Sure. That makes sense. So I'm, I'm curious, like, how, how common is kind of the Mac, like, people that own a Mac, and I would even put myself in this, this boat, are just kind of like, I have a Mac, I don't have any problems. Right. Um, how what's your take on that because there's kind of a little bit mixed um feelings at least in my opinion about whether kind of macs are really an issue or not in kind of the security side of things yeah, i get that a lot too you know the mac versus pc thing yeah the big difference is is that mac uh, nothing's enabled by default 
Right. So you've got a, you have a, a login, which is not set as the administrative uh, user. You have to create another uh, account for to be an administrator. Whereas Windows, you start off with the administrator account and everything's open. Yeah, and most people don't add a different account, right? Exactly. And use that one. Yeah. Exactly. So that, that's one of the, suge the suggestions I would do for Windows folks is to create yourself a user level uh, account and this way use that one. So this way if ever you get infected, well, just your account would be infected, not the entire computer. Right. If ever something fishy started happening, you, you would get prompted to, to enter the administrator uh, password. That right there would be a red flag for you. So you get these early warning signals, you know? Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. And then on the Mac side, you're usually fine? Yeah, yeah, it is. Now, there's been some viruses that have been coming out, and that's why it's important. I, I, I've seen people on Mac where they just don't have a password set. Yeah, okay. And if you don't have a password set, you're in big trouble because the moment you get infected, the entire Mac is, is going to be infected. Right. That makes a lot of sense. What that's, about That's the biggest problem I've seen with, with folks with, uh, with the Mac. It, I mean, I, when I do my intrusion tests, I have a very difficult time breaking into the Macs. Okay. Unless there's a bad password. Okay. So, so again, password being super important. Right. Um, I'm curious then, what's your take on kind of tablets and smartphones? I, I know like obviously iOS is, is a lot more closed from a security standpoint than kind of Android. You know, you, Android's a little bit more Wild West in the sense that you can basically have a full file system. You can basically put whatever you want on it whenever you want. Um, but how do you, what's your opinion on kind of, you read mixed things online, right? Like obviously it's software, anything at some point, if you really want to get in, somebody will screw up at some point to get into their stuff. But how, how do you see kind of Android iOS from a security perspective? <clears throat> there's, there's, okay, let's talk about Android first. Okay. The Android you can install from various sources, not just the Play Store. Right. Yeah. Dangerous there too. Yeah. And usually, what happens is that let's say let's take an example Facebook uh, Messenger when okay. it came. Um, you'd load up the app and would say, "Hey, I need access to your photos, your camera, your microphone, you, all this stuff." So right away, you get this shock that why does this app want access to all of this? Right. Versus on on the iOS, it's more subtle because it'll come back and say, "Okay, well, I need access to your microphone." Okay, fine, no big deal. And the moment you go and try to send a photo, it's gonna say, "Hey, I need access to your photos." Right. Okay. At least you know, you know what it's doing. Um, but also, there was a vulnerability for Apple recently. I don't know if you heard about this. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Where the the attacker was able to pretty much take over the entire phone, enable your microphone, take over your camera, send photos, send text messages. It was uh, it was a full takeover of the phone. Sure. That surprised me a bit, actually. Yeah, I was actually kind of shocked that that happens. Like, like I'm an Android user now, but um, I've owned iPhones in the past and I used to always jailbreak them and I get that you're kind of throwing security a little bit out the window. Oh, yeah, you wipe it all out, exactly. Yeah. The security of it. But it's interesting because obviously like Apple got so much slack a year or so ago when you know all the iCloud stuff leaked. But I think people blamed Apple, but in a lot of cases, at least in my opinion, it's like if you have a crappy password, it doesn't, that's not Apple's fault, right? No, exactly. And, and that's why they enabled the two-factor authentication for it anyway. It's been there all that time. Yeah. And, it. Yeah, and so I, I think the thing is, is we always kind of, as human beings, expect companies to almost like protect our data, but they can only go so far, and it's on the individual to kind of monitor what they want people to have access to online and potentially even offline, but... In the sense that 
you know, to your point earlier about Facebook and photos and stuff, like, do you want the general public to see everything that you post on Facebook? Your call, right? But, but why I really wanted to have you on the show is kind of make people aware about this stuff or get them thinking about this stuff. Because I think the average person doesn't think about it. Like it just, it's something that they just like, ah, it doesn't really matter. But, but it does matter because, and you know, something like Apple or there's been other sites that have gotten hacked too, where the general public is starting to get affected by these things, right? Absolutely, yeah. Whatever happens in the, in the virtual world will affect you in the real world, you know, such as the credit cards. You know, it, yeah, okay, you think the bank is going to reimburse you, which they do most of the time, but it's very inconvenient. Sure. You know, your credit card shut down for a couple of days and, you know, yeah, it's your fault, but security is everybody's uh, issue. No, I, I 100% agree. So you have this course... You also, what else are you kind of doing right now? Like you, you run a company. Yeah. Um, what do you guys kind of do with that company? Okay, so I have, uh, so I have a company called Psyology Labs, which yeah. is um, my startup. Okay. For, uh, that's going to house the course and possibly a future product in the make. Um, I also work for a, a private investigation firm called Circle. Okay. Now, we do everything from uh, infiltration, uh, double agents. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, call, I like to call it my little James Bond team because we have computer forensics in there. So everything we would need to place a face behind the crime. Okay. So that was one of the biggest problems that law enforcement has is that, you know, if you get hacked, you can't place a shadow of a doubt that that guy was behind the screen when it happened. Sure. And I have the capability actually to, you know, hack your machine, enable your webcam, take a picture, send it back to me and say, yep, it was this guy behind the screen. But then I just violated a privacy law. Okay, interesting. Guys have privacy laws too. Sure. So the law is playing catch up on this stuff right now. Do you ever think that it'll actually catch up? Because it seems to take so long for these things to get in place that, like, by the time that it something's in law, there's like you know it's like five years old. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's never going to be caught up. So how does that work then? And I get you don't have to go into kind of like there's certain things that you probably can't necessarily discuss like techniques and and whatnot, but just for kind of a quick overview, when you're doing and looking for something in a company that somebody got into a company, took a bunch of stuff, how do you even kind of go about trying to find that person? <clears throat> okay, so the first thing we, we typically do is um, we get access to the computer that was possibly compromised, and we do a, what's called a, fre- a forensic image of it. Okay. It's like, a, it's like imagine freezing it. Okay. And from there, using sophisticated tools, we can actually gain back and almost recreate what this person did that day or that hour, whatever. Okay. And we can pull out, uh, we call it artifacts, but we're extracting evidence to prove that this person did it. And, um, you know, a lot of times they'll use tools to try and hide their tracks. Okay. Then we have to rely on other sources to help guide us. But, you know, we, we, we do have tools in it that we can uh, leverage, which is called a honeypot, for example. Okay. So we can install this on a, on a customer's location. And the moment that attackers come in, They'll come across the system and say, oh, what's this? And as they interact with it, it starts doing uh, attribution back to where they are. Ah, okay. Now, there is techniques like, for example, I can't just go back and hack them, right? Right. But if these guys get on my honeypot, I can send a message saying, hey, warning, this is a restricted system. I have the right to scan your system, check your security level, blah, 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 blah. Do you consent? Yes or no? And of course, they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I do. Next, you know, I can I can maybe compromise his computer. It's still gray area, but hey, he gave me consent to do it, and he shouldn't have been there in the first place. 
I see. So, yeah, okay, that makes some sense. Interesting. So, what happens, like, okay, you, you kind of mentioned earlier about, like, being in there from, like, Singapore or something. Like, how are you actually going to catch somebody in another country across the world? Can you even? Not not at this moment. It, it, all, it, it comes down to really a financial issue. Okay. So for example, let's say, you know, somebody hacked you, for example. Sure. If you to go after somebody in Singapore could cost between twenty and a hundred thousand bucks. Oh wow. Because there's there's, there's uh, lawyers involved, there's warrants, there's jurisdiction. But the good news is that um, I actually got contacted by a, a researcher that's writing some laws for the Senate uh, the Senate's okay. in and uh, for the bill S two twenty, which might give power to RCMP to go overseas and get these guys. Interesting. So the stuff is coming. It's, okay. It's a lot slower, but it's it's got to adapt. But but I guess the bigger the bigger issue here, I guess, is if somebody can get in and you figure out how they did it, you can at least patch that so they so somebody else can't get back in, right? Exactly. It's, yeah. it's almost not about catching them at this point, just because of the financial issue and even the legal issue around it. But it's so other people can't steal your data, correct? Exactly. Or whatever exactly. they want, right? That's my, that's my role. I, I get to I get to play the bad guy. I get to try and find any way in to hack these folks and then come back with a huge detailed report saying, here's how I got in, here's what I got to fix. And, and it's not so much technological, right? I break into systems using what's called social engineering. Now, one of my favorite tactics is I'll walk into, say, a store. Okay. And I'll say, hey, I'm from IT. I'm doing an upgrade on your system. I need to get access to your server room. Okay. And I'm all dressed up casual and uh, got my laptop. I go, oh, yeah, 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 here, they gave, they gave me the keys. Never even asked who I was and who I work for. Sure. And within three hours, I compromised the whole network. Okay, interesting. So it's almost about education of your kind of staff and employees as well? Exactly. That's why I've created the course. So it okay. covers all that as well in there. Okay, so what else does the kind of course cover then? <clears throat> There's uh, mobile device security. So I, I talked a lot about um, how to spot infections. So if you, if you think your mobile phone might be compromised, because we do get a lot of calls about spouses spying on each other. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I so guess I, I can see that. My spouse is, is listening to where I am because he's, he's, always, you know, he's always showing up at the same time that I'm at a location or he seems to know a bit too much. Um, I'll cover how to, how to um, audit your, your smartphone to see if it's infected. Okay, interesting. So... When you get a call from a business and says, you know, I want you to check my kind of, even if they're, let's say they're remote and they, they're not in the same city, you can't go visit them unless you fly there. How do you kind of work with a client like that? Like, what do you really start to say? Like, how do you get into their, say, network? Can you? Is that even a possibility? Yeah. Um, what do you kind of look for and what do you kind of do to see like X company, I want to see how much information I can get from, you know, your company and you might be across the world or wherever. Right. So um, it all starts off with a, uh, we call it our get out of jail free card. It's where we get an authorized permission that, yes, I'm allowed to hack your system. Okay. And then, and then they'll give me a bunch of IP addresses that belong to them. Okay. And I'll start scanning them to see what systems are alive and see what maybe possible software versions are running on them. Okay. And if I see that they're running a version that's maybe you know, two revisions behind and I know there's five vulnerabilities that will break me into that system, I'll, I'll launch the attack against it and it might let me into the inside system. Okay. And then once I'm in from the outside, I can pretty much scan everything I want as if I'm there. 
Right. So I never have to. Uh, that's the beauty. Of my, that's the beauty with my job is I don't have to be there to do it. Right. I, I can even send you over uh, a, a, a bootable CD, for example, which will help me get in on the inside to help do the internal audit. So I don't have to be there. Okay, interesting. So I'm I'm assuming what kind of types of clients are your ideal clients then that you guys kind of look for all the time? Um, man, that's we we get anybody because anybody with a computer okay. is helpful. So we've had the five person shops okay. and we had the twenty thousand person shop. Got you. So it really ranges. Usually the small business um, are starting to wake up to this because what's happening is the, the hackers know that the small business guys don't have any security. They can't afford it. Right. So they're going to leverage the small business guys to kind of do a pivot and attack a big company. Mm. So that's when they do the investigation and say, oh, this small company attacked me. Got and, you. Now you know, they're tied up in legal, in legal uh, fees. Right. Okay. Um, how do you deal with kind of the enterprise – the big enterprise where they're running very outdated pieces of software and in a lot of cases they even know it like yeah. how do you how do you deal with that because we you know I work at a software company and we run into that sometimes all the time it's like well we have this old outdated version of IE for example right and it's like well we can't upgrade because we'd have to roll that out and it's going to cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars like how do you work with these big enterprises to make them secure when they're running this archaic software it's very dependent i mean uh, you know perfect another perfect example is uh, every time i do a breach on someone they're always running windows xp because it's required to run the door software for the door locks sure and um it, usually the xp machine always gets me in okay so, because the, because the administrator somehow logged in at some point and i can pull off everybody who's ever logged into that computer gotcha and their access levels so they have to understand that you know when hackers break in and, and they, they compromise things like IE, um, they, they're going to get hacked every single time. It's going to cost them more than 100000 bucks to get that fixed. I okay. mean, that's what the, th the other thing, too, is that hackers aren't spending all their time trying to break through firewalls. When all they have to do is send a compelling email to somebody to have them click on the link and get them in through the back door. Uh, so folks like IE and, and uh, these outdated softwares are going to get hit. I see. Okay, so... So basically, what you basically tell them is like, yeah, okay, it's going to cost you X amount of dollars, but the fact that you're running this is just a matter of time before somebody at your company will do something by accident or just partly just... Because I think people, for for lack of a better term, are kind of... I think they're just trying to be nice to people. If you get a legitimate email or it sounds legitimate, I think most people don't think second-guess it, right? They click a link. And then they probably have no idea that they could have just potentially infected their entire network. Exactly. And, and there's even big scams happening about that. For example, it's called the, C, the CFO fraud. You ever heard of this one or the CEO fraud? No, but it's go where, on. <laughs> it's where the CFO will receive an email. It looks like it came from the CEO saying, okay. hey, I need you to wire $250,000 to this bank account. Keep it hush-hush. It's a private acquisition. Oh, interesting. And so the, C, the CFO might not ever question the CEO's judgment. And wire the money. Ah, uh, of course, right? That would make sense. And then uh, law enforcement can't do much about it because uh, it was it was authorized. So interesting. Okay, so I guess how do you then, for a company that's been around a long time, what do you kind of recommend? Like, I, I get that they have budget constraints and whatnot, but you know, what do you kind of 
and I get that it's going to be a range based on, um, you know, how big the company is. But do you kind of have a, a percentage of something a year that they should be spending on security? Because I think as we put more and more stuff online, we're almost at the beginning or just at the start of this whole kind of tech revolution, right? And security is yeah. going to be only become more and more important. Do you kind of have a rough, you know, percentage or what do you tell companies that they should be spending on kind of security in a year? So the big one is uh, is definitely awareness training. Get the okay. latest scams, um, what not to click on. Um, passwords is a huge one. Okay. And the other thing is, is that whenever there's acquisitions or, co- or people leave the, the company, a lot of times their accounts aren't shut down. Yeah, I've noticed that too. And um, so we, co- I, I look for that stuff. I compromise them. Okay. Say, How does Susan's get access? She hasn't been here in five years. Well, <laughs> surprise. I, interesting. Okay. Uh, tell them how to tweak their firewalls, segment off their, you know, maybe a point of sale systems. You know, make sure that it's on a private network. But the biggest challenge that I see though is that a lot of times all the recommendations that a cybersecurity expert give to companies, only half of it is ever implemented, or if, if at all. Interesting. So how do you bridge that gap? Like, should people be re-looking at their security quarterly, every six months, once a year? How often do you kind of tell people that they should be revisiting this stuff? We tell them to do at least once a year. Once a year, okay. But the thing you have to understand, though, is that with an intrusion test, or it's called a penetration test, it's a point in time. So right. let's say, you know, Today I just finished my big audit on your company. Here's the big report, and then two weeks later, uh, a big flaw happened in the Microsoft product that got hackers in. Right. Two weeks later, you can say, "Well, geez, I just made my test. I was secure. Now I'm hacked." And that's what I understand that this, this technology, there's always flaws somewhere. So the goal is not to necessarily secure it as much as you can, but to make it as hard as possible for hackers to get in. Right. There's no silver bullet to stop the hacker. Sure. And, and like we've kind of covered a few times is like if somebody really wants something, it's just a matter of time before they get it. Right. Oh, like, yeah, absolutely. because it like somebody will mess up and I, you know, we've, I've played with those like Wi-Fi pineapples and, and that kind of thing where you can like spoof basically wireless networks and there's ways to do certain things that really inexpensive that eventually somebody will get your data. Right. And I'm not trying to make people paranoid. I'm just trying to make people aware of this stuff so people start thinking about this stuff you know in their daily lives and decide whatever they put online or whatever they post as their ch- like for their children online right because yeah. it, like wh- we don't know that once you know if you have a, a baby tomorrow what you know in 18 years or 20 years from now like what their whole life might be online right exactly and i've, I've heard of i've heard of um i was actually at a conference last week where uh, one of the guest speakers she had to put uh, an identity theft uh, alert for her 18-month-old child because her personal information was stolen in the U.S. Really? Wow. So it starts very early. I mean, everything's online now. Sure. And, and going back to your point about the pineapple, um, <clears throat> what, the biggest place that most people are very vulnerable is in these coffee shops. Sure. These networks. They, they just love to connect to public networks because they don't want to spend on their data plan. But, you know, you could be in a cafe load up your pineapple and say, yeah, this is a Starbucks free Wi-Fi uh, faster. Sure. They'll connect to it, and then you'll be able to see all their traffic go through your system. So if you've got passwords, whatever, you'll see all that. Sure. And then they wonder why their, their systems are being, or their accounts are being hacked. 
Well, and cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're getting that traffic, say at like a public coffee shop, you can basically log into all their social media profiles or any of the sites that they log into as long as they don't log out, correct? Because you can grab yeah. that session. Okay, that, that, that was an old flaw that existed. Um, uh, what's it called? It's, uh, something, Firesheet. It was Firesheet. Okay. Um, this was a really, 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 really cool tool. You'd be sitting in a coffee shop, and the moment it, that you see Facebook traffic go through, like the person's session would show up on your computer. You just double-click it, and now you become them in their account. Within within two seconds, right? Uh, Facebook has since fixed that flaw, but there's no saying that other flaws don't exist somewhere else to, cut, to take over the account. Right, I got you. So, what do you tell people when they are on these kind of free or public Wi-Fi's, whether it's at the airport, a coffee shop, or you know wherever else they have free Wi-Fi? There's a there's a solution you can use called a virtual private network. Okay, and it allows you to. Um, kind of tunnel your traffic through a provider. For example, um, Norton has one now. Oh, so, really? Okay. Yeah, so Norton... Uh, Antivirus, right? Yeah, well, there's another one. It's uh, part of the security solution. I forget what it's called. Okay. But you can you can look at that, and then all your traffic will, will be routed through Symantec out to the web. Okay. So it's clean. But it, it's still being filtered somewhere, right? So if Symantec wanted to spy on everybody, they could. Ah, uh, okay. So do you pay for this Symantec one? I believe you do, yeah. Okay, because like the one, I, well, I've tried a handful of them over the years. Just a lot, mostly for me, it was just trying to watch like U.S. Netflix or U.S. content. Yeah. But uh, uh, like, I, I think more and more people seem to be, like, I, I'm, by more and more people, I mean almost the general public seem to be interested in kind of getting VPNs. And you and I are both in Canada, so you know, a lot of us can't watch um, U.S. content for the longest time unless we had a VPN, right? And we VPN into America, and there's a handful of sites out there. But it, it's interesting that you can also use these things just to protect yourself, not just view content. And I think a lot of people, at least that I meet, because and I kind of judge by how tech savvy my non-techy friends are becoming as you know they they've moved to the iPhone or Android over the last like however many years and then they start asking questions like oh can you get me the US Netflix or how do you get the whatever right or I got an Apple TV right like you start oh okay well you know my friend group is kind of at this level of tech savvy right and I think I I know a lot of people that I'd consider non-techie you know starting to use VPNs just for to watch US content and stuff like that but I think they still don't realize that they can use the same thing that they're already paying for to actually protect themselves when they're browsing, you know, airport, coffee shop, like you mentioned, or, or wherever, right? The the one downside to a VPN is obviously it's a bit slower, right? But if you know, well, or you're a lot safer online, are you willing to make that sacrifice? Yes or no? If they have company, if they, if they belong to a company that has VPN solution, like a... okay. You know, definitely use the VPN whenever they're traveling because you never know who's spying on them. Sure. And when you're sending important company email, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I am curious then, and this is my own curiosity, um, if we use, say, Google Apps and Google uses or supposed to be encrypted sending email, but I'm on an unsecure network in a coffee shop and I'm sending company email through, you know, my Google Apps account. Can the hacker still see my email? No, it'll be encrypted. Okay, so they're not. It doesn't really matter then at that point. Right. Google's kind of handling that for me. Exactly. Okay, but the sites like Facebook or Twitter or some of those other things, 
um, they they can still get at. Well, like I said, the, the important thing you want to have is whenever you're browsing, you want to see the little lock in the top right-hand corner or top left-hand corner. That's your, your first thing, your HTTPS. Right. Um, try like uh, Facebook has that now, so pretty much your entire session is going to be encrypted, except okay. for like photos and things like that. Got you. Okay. Uh, but yeah, if you can use the VPN as much as possible, that'll that'll definitely help save you. Okay. What about two-factor authentication? Once I'm authorized, can they somehow st still steal that session? Not to my not to my knowledge. Okay. So, so setting that up is obviously not bulletproof, but. It's a lot safer than just normally yeah. being there. Okay. And that's also, also, what's cool about it is that if somebody is messing around with your account, you're going to receive a message, a text message on your phone, and you receive an email saying that there's been a sign in. So you'll get an early warning detection that something's fishy going on. Yeah, that's actually, that's actually, you bring up an interesting point because what I've noticed running two factor authentication and my security settings, at least with my Google stuff, for example, are pretty high. And so, if I if I'm like obviously I'm in Canada and, and then I switch to I turn my VPN on and I'm in the states or I'm in a different part of Canada depending on what I'm doing, sometimes Google will actually send me a notification either like an email or it'll block me from logging into another account and it's like, uh, you know all of a sudden now you're in a different part of the world but you just logged in in some other part of the world and you couldn't have you couldn't have been you know, in Canada and then down somewhere like in LA within 20 minutes. Like you, there's yeah. no physical way to do that. Yeah. And, and so they are getting better at that stuff. But that's something I think to mention that if somebody does decide to sign up for a VPN, you might start getting these warnings that, oh, somebody from like another part of the world's trying to access your account. But that's actually you because you're telling your computer that you are in a different part of the world. Exactly. That's why they, they always say Google knows more about you than you know yourself. Yeah. No, I, I could totally see that. And in some ways, like, I like that convenience, but I, I can see why a lot of people, that freaks a lot of people out. Yeah. Yeah. But there's still, like I said, there's still ways, like, I get that all the time when, when, when we're, my customers are getting hacked or scammed. They always look like they're coming in from Russia when they could be in Canada. Right. But we have ways to, um, to help find that out. Like, for example, I could send you a special Word document. As a trackback to me, I could say, hey, uh, Kevin, I know that uh, you like such and such a sports team. Check out my pictures with them from last year. Right. It's random, right? Sure. And I'll have a Word doc. And you know, the moment you open it, I'll get back your IP address. Okay. Interesting. There's ways to, to find that out. Okay. Interesting. So I guess we're kind of coming to the end of the show. Is there any other kind of common thing that you kind of tell people to look out for, be aware of, or, or think about when they're kind of online, whether it's from their laptop or desktop or, yeah. or their tablet or phone? Yeah, I think the next thing is nudity. Okay. Um, we're, we're, starting, we're starting to see a lot more of a sextortion. Right. Um, where, you know, you're, you'll be on webcam, you think is a girl, but it's all pre-recorded video, and next thing you're doing inappropriate things, but they're capturing you. And you say, okay, you know what? I, I recorded everything here. You're gonna pay me twenty thousand bucks, or I'm or I'm throwing this under the web. Right. And so we see a, we see a lot of that happening with adults as well, but also with kids, like in schools, they're do, they're doing sexting. Yeah. So they're they're post they're post sending nude photos to their boyfriend or girlfriend, but they don't realize that when they do that, that photo is always shown to somebody else. Right. And then it gets shared, and then once it's sent, you no longer control it. 
fair. Right. And even just like things like Snapchat that expired, they don't really go away. Like no. there's ways, yeah, they might expire on your phone or the, even the person you sent its phone, but you know, you can always take a picture of a phone or like, it's not really gone or potentially not really gone. Right. Exactly. And like, how do we even go about educating kids on that? Cause I, I don't even know if they comprehend that yeah, they or don't care. Get, no, they don't. It's a very, very, very difficult. And you know, I, I, I get the jitters that whenever I present to high school kids, I always think, Oh man, these guys are going to blow me away, but I'm happy so far. Every single time I come out on top and they, their eyes just pop out of their head about how they can be tracked. And sure. Stuff. So, so how, how? What do you? What advice do you kind of give parents that are, are paranoid about, you know, their kids' kind of social media or presence online? I mean, look, the, the kid lives at home. It's under the parents' roof. They need to sit down with their parent, with their kid, and go through their Facebook accounts or their Snapchats, or and have the kid teach them this technology too. It's a two-way street. Okay. But I see a lot of times where the kid will show you the angel version of their profile. Then they got the devil version on the other side. Of the <laughs> sure. So they got to watch out for that too. That's why in, in this course I show them how they can kind of, I guess the word spy, but they can how they can check what their kids are really doing online with it. Sure, because I've even seen where, um, and I know parents that do this, where um, they keep, they get all the messages that their kids get to like iMessage, for example. Yeah. And so they can kind of monitor that. And it, it's interesting because... Like I'm a dad and um, it's interesting, like uh, my daughter's almost two. So obviously I don't really have to worry about her being online right now other than what we post of her online. Yeah. But as she gets older and she starts getting a cell phone at some point and I'm in the tech industry, so I can obviously, I could track her as much or as little as possible because I know how to do all that stuff. But it's where do you draw that line, right? And what are you comfortable knowing and not knowing? And it's it's hard and it's a hard call. And I think in a lot of cases, it's personal preference, but that yeah. that's something I know like I, I'm gonna struggle with and I'm sure a lot of people are struggling. I get that comment all the time. It's like, you know, how do you bridge the, it's private. How do you, why would you, you know, where, where do you draw the line? It's like almost like walking into your kid's bedroom and you're going through their drawers and you find you none know, of weed. Sure. Are you allowed to confront them about it? How are you supposed to know about it, right? Well, yeah. You know, it's prevention. It's, you know, parents Parents need to educate their kids online as they do in the real world. Sure. And I guess it's not really any different than teaching them any other skill, right? It's trying to learn. You should be, well, I, I think nowadays most people have a smartphone and understand the smartphone at least to a certain level. And you're right. If you have a conversation with your kid about this stuff and you know, like kids know so much more, right? I mean, like when we when we were growing up, and we were watching things on TV that our parents didn't like, they would come in the room and change the channel. Yeah, right. So their parents were being active, but now with the kids being so far advanced with this technology, the the parents just can't keep up. Sure. So it's that that's where that's where I'm hoping we're maybe we'll help educate them to this this course. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. So let's maybe close the show with mentioning where, again, people can find you online, the course online, um, and any other kind of social media stuff you want to mention. Sure. I mean, everything launches through uh, terrycutler.com. Okay. That's T-E-R-R-Y-C-U-T-L-E-R.com. And uh, they can click on Internet Safety at the top, or they can go straight to internetsafetyuniversity.com. Perfect. 
All right, Terry. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to be on the show. I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and uh, you know, hopefully, we can do this again sometime. It went really, it went really fast. Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you so much for having me on. All right, man. We'll talk Thank soon. You. Take care. Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. And keep them in the future.